everyone. You're listening to Keeping It Real with Janine. I'm Janine Strong, and today one of my favorite guests is with us again, Dr. Stephanie Seneff. Dr. Seneff was last on Keeping It Real with Janine in August, and since she is a consummate researcher and dot connector, I thought it was time for another update from her. All of our conversations are timeless and relevant. So if you are interested in more from Stephanie, please go to the realjanine.com archives. For a quick bio, Dr. Stephanie Seneff is a senior research scientist at MIT. Since 2008, she has focused her research interests on the impact of nutritional deficiencies and environmental toxins on human health, especially the role of glyphosate and Quite a few of our conversations have been around glyphosate. She's been intensely researching connections between toxins and COVID-19 for the last two years. And if you haven't heard Dr. Seneff speak, you are in for a treat. And just a warning, she does tend to speak fast, so you're not going to be able to put this on like 1.25 or 1.5, so you're not going to be able to speed her up. Hi, Stephanie. Welcome back. So great, so great to be back. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. So I think I'll just let you, um, you know, start off with whatever you've learned since August. Yeah, and we'll just take it from there. Yes. Well, as you know, I've been intensely studying the messenger RNA vaccines, so-called mm-hmm. vaccines, and uh, the more I learn, the more concerned I get. And I was concerned from the get-go, even back last year, mm-hmm. you know, went warp speed, operation warp speed, skip a lot of steps, just jump through hoops and get this thing out in the market and then jam it down everybody's throat. I mean, it was quite an amazing uh, realization for me that the government was willing to take this kind of risk. I, I'm so, I'm still shocked. I'm just, right now, I'm just kind of stunned all the time about the agenda and how it's going forward. Right. Well, you you know, Stephanie, I can't imagine that they didn't know. I mean, I I'm too am concerned about the law, lo- especially the long term risks are are just right. astounding, and I can't believe they didn't know anything about that. I I, I am flabbergasted. I just can't even um, comprehend how they have the courage or the audacity to do something like this. Especially now, they're just rolling it out for the kids. That just breaks my heart. Mm. That they've decided, oh, yeah, no problem, five years old, you know, these kids are completely safe against COVID. There's absolutely no question that the risk-benefit ratio makes no sense for the children. Right. Yeah, I know. Why didn't they need a jab? I it just, it, it boggle, and it boggles my mind that so many people seem to be so excited about their kids getting this. It's I, amazing. I, I, you know, people line up, they can't wait to get the booster shot. I just, I am, it's surreal. I mean, I think it's a... a a global uh, hypnotic state that people are in where there's been this tremendous censorship of anything negative about the vaccines. And I certainly am very much aware because I'm in in connection with email contact with all kinds of people who are fighting really hard against these, these mandates. Mm -hmm. And I get all kinds of, you know, email from people suffering from side effects, tremendous side effects from these vaccines. So I know that they are very, very damaging. And, um, I think the risks outweigh the benefits for anybody, to be honest with you, even mm-hmm. the old people. I and, agree. Uh, and also, they don't work. I mean, they're just, uh, <laughs> not only do they not work, they're probably making the situation worse with respect to COVID. Mm-hmm. Because they, they're driving the emergence of the variants, and the variants are, are like, ha-ha, against the vaccine. You know, the variants are very um, 
smart. <laughs> they know how to resist the vaccine antibodies. Mm-hmm. They've been programmed to resist it by virtue of having the opportunity to get a close, an up-close look at those antibodies that are produced by the vaccine, because the vaccine produces extremely, it does its job very, very well. The mRNA vaccines, they produce a tremendous response of the immune cells, producing these, uh, what are called IgA and IgG antibodies against spike. Okay. Tremendously strong. Like, for example, the, the IgG antibodies that are produced from the vaccine are typical of what you get when you have severe COVID disease. People who have a light case, they don't produce that many antibodies. You know, some people don't even get sick, don't produce antibodies when they are exposed to the virus. Okay. So the, it's, it's as if your body responds as if you've been hit hard with COVID when mm-hmm. you get the vaccine. That's important because it's driving, you know, the, the immune system sort of becomes aware that it's in trouble. And it's a false awareness because the vaccine is injected, you know, past the mucosal barriers, past the vascular barriers, straight into the muscle cells. And even the virus is missing because they've changed the, they build this incredibly technologically clever version of the messenger RNA that is the code for the spike protein. So there's no spike protein in the vaccines. It's just the code in this RNA format. But it's a, it's a human, it's a human lookalike RNA. It looks like a human RNA molecule, which is different Mm -hmm. from a virus. Mm-hmm. RNA molecule. So the it's very stealth. The the RNA it's and it's put packaged up in these lipid particles that look a lot like LDL. The lipid the, the LDL that's high when you have to be put on a statin mm-hmm. drug. That's a very mm-hmm. common th- thing in the blood and the cells all know how to take that up no problem. So they take up the the vaccine the same way. It doesn't go through the same way as the virus goes in. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it uh-huh. fools a cell into thinking it's an LDL particle. And then it's very well designed to open up, release the RNA, start making massive amounts of spike protein in that cell. So the first time the immune system sees there's a problem is when it sees these muscle cells displaying tons of spike protein on their, on their surface. You know, and it's like, oh, my God, these muscle cells are making this really toxic protein. Where did that come from? What can that be? The immune system is utterly confused by that situation. It doesn't look like a virus infection. It looks mm-hmm. like something very different. And it responds very, very differently to the vaccine from the way it would respond to the disease. The immune response is very, very different. Mm-hmm. And um, it's completely, you know, focused on making antibodies to spike because all it sees is there's this toxic protein. It doesn't realize there's a virus behind it. Oh, and it's like, so that's yeah. why it doesn't, it's not, you're not getting the killer T cells and, and the other exactly. uh, parts that actually are mounting uh, a, a response to an infection. Right. You don't get any mucosal antibodies. So usually it, it, the virus comes in through the mucosa, like the lungs mm-hmm. and the nose. Right. And then you get these specific mucosal antibodies there that can fight off the virus when it comes in. So now they don't have any protection in the nose, for example, because they don't have those mucosal antibodies. That's why they're carriers. They can be feeling pretty good because the antibodies are really strong. You know, shortly after your second vaccine, you know, when you're at peak performance, you're probably quite safe from COVID in the sense that it won't it won't harm you. If you get the virus, those antibodies will glom right onto it and won't let it get inside your cells. So it works in that sense. That's you know, that's the good side. Okay. For a short while and only for a few months, because those antibodies start fading almost immediately as soon as they peak after about two weeks, two weeks after the second vaccine, they start fading and they fade quickly. So by the time, you know, six months, they're now they're telling everybody got to get your booster shot. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, 
And every time you get a shot, I suspect the side effects are going to be worse than the time before. Well, so. you know, Stephanie, just to interrupt for a moment, I've um, in the last, I'd say the last week, one of the I'm on different telegram threads, and there's one that kind of documents uh, uh, adverse re- events. And I am seeing now all of a sudden, after the booster, death, after the booster, mm. after the booster, after the booster, people passing. It's just, I mean, it's like one after another. I was really shocked because I was like, wow, these are all deaths after boosters. The other thing I'm seeing is, you know, and I've seen news about this. In fact, in Boston, where I, you know, where I spend a lot of time, Mm -hmm. um, there's an article in the Boston Globe recently about, oh, my God, the hospitals are filling up. All these people are sick. You know, ICUs are overwhelmed. And it's not COVID. You know, they just say all of a sudden there's so many people showing up in the hospital. They're so sick. It's not COVID. And of course, they don't say, oh, it's a reaction to the vaccine, which is what I'm thinking. You know, that's I mean, I've been seeing uh, like different little videos of nurses and doctors speaking out who work in the hospital. And they're saying, uh, in fact, there was a really interesting one. She she was addressing all of the uh, reporters that were there. And she said, quit lying. It's not the unvaxxed now who are in the hospital. It's they're right. all vaxxed. Every one of them has had at least one shot. Right. And that's the other thing. When they say unvaxxed, you don't know whether that means they're just in the process and haven't yet gotten to that magical point of two weeks after the second vaccine. Right. Right. And whether they're going to start calling people unvaxxed if they if they're past the booster. Right. If they haven't gotten the booster yet. Now they're unvaxxed again. Right. They're back into the unvaxxed category. Right. And didn't the um, uh, what do I want to call it? The definition of vaccinated. If let me see. Tell me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. But I think that what is it up to 15 days after, excuse me, Mm -hmm. after the shot, that is considered unvaxxed if there's a reaction. Yes, up to 15 days after the second shot. So you you know, that's already a month and a half after the first shot. So how how can they even get away with that? How ridiculous is that? I so, know. I, they should be saying unvaccinated, partially vaccinated, and vaccinated, right? And then they have to say also vaccinated a long time ago, so therefore the vaccine's no longer working. And in fact, those people, I think, are worse off than those who have never been vaccinated because this is what I've been researching lately, and it's really, really fascinating science. But I have a lot of evidence coming in from a, a number of different papers that have been published. There's a lot of literature coming out. hmm it's kind of hard to keep up with it. Actually, <laughs> I know. Papers are appearing every day. So it's, it's a scramble just to read the literature takes a lot of time. Of course, I'm putting together the pieces of a puzzle and I'm working on an, another paper. You know, Greg Nye and I, Dr. Greg Nye and I published a, a long paper right. on the mRNA vaccines, over 40 pages long, lots and lots of references. I think that's, I think we talked, yeah. So we talked about that in our last podcast conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now we're working on a, on a follow-on paper, and we have mm. all kinds of new material in this new paper. And I'm, I'm really excited about, you know, terrified, actually, but mm. also excited about what we're finding, because it's quite, quite interesting. And it has to do partly, I think, with this business about the stealth. The immune system doesn't think this spike protein is of, of viral origin. It doesn't understand what it is, but it doesn't think it's viral origin, because the messenger RNA doesn't look at all like typical virus messenger RNA. So it doesn't launch a normal response. Usually, and in fact, they, and this is also interesting, they write about this in the research on the development. It was a long time coming, these vaccines, and they had to figure out how to protect that messenger RNA from the immune system because they had a big problem when they first were trying to fool around with these messenger RNA vaccines that they would find that um, the immune response to the messenger RNA 
was so strong that it would immediately cause the immune system to break apart the messenger RNA before it got a chance to make spike. Oh, my so goodness. They had, a problem. they had a big problem. They didn't know how to fix it. Uh-huh. And, and, and they, so it was actually brilliant science. I think the woman who came up with this could even end up with a Nobel Prize for her work because she showed that if you replace every single uridine in the, in the, uh, in the messenger RNA, uridine is one of the four nucleotides that make up that sequence of the mm-hmm. RNA. Okay. If you take every uridine and replace it with methyl pseudouridine, which is a, a modified form of uridine, that makes the, the RNA uh, protects it from the immune system. It can't be broken down. Mm-hmm. And that was a major breakthrough to keep it alive so it could make lots of protein. Got it. And and um, but then of course and then of course they also designed it differently to have to look like there's various details about it's quite fascinating that the RNA that viruses make has a kind of virus signature in the way in, in ways that it's modified and then the human one has a human signature so they they built a human message RNA that codes for the virus protein so it's a chameleon but that's really problematic because as the immune cells don't there's an initial um, response to a virus called type 1 interferon response mm-hmm. and that's the focus of this new paper type 1 interferon response that response is a response to the RNA of a virus and of course it doesn't happen with these uh, vaccines because they don't have an RNA v- a virus a virus RNA oh, in the vaccine okay doesn't happen but worse than that remarkably the immune system actually launches a whole program that ends up suppressing type 1 interferon responses in general, globally against everything, okay. suppresses it. And type 1 interferon response is super important for keeping your viruses in check. So all of a sudden people are getting Bell's palsy, mm-hmm. uh, shingles, you know, and, and hepatitis C. I mean, they're getting infections with latent viruses that are waking up. And I've seen horrible pictures of skin issues. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Poor people. That's right. Yeah, these various infections of viruses and, and all kinds of um, of pathogens, um, all of a sudden the the body's not as able to fight off and to keep in check these latent pathogens, and so you get all these other conditions start popping up. Mm-hmm. Well, and I've also read a lot uh, from a lot of different doctors saying that cancers, yes. um, especially cancers that have been in remission, are just coming back with a vengeance. Exactly. And that is exactly also type 1 interferon because it, it keeps cancer in check as well. Mm-hmm. So when that lets go, when you lose a type 1 interferon response, the cancer comes back again. Got it. Because it does seem that that uh, whatever your weak area is, that's where the initial problem is after you're getting the shots. I totally think that. I think anything you already have, you know, rheumatoid arthritis is going to get worse. Alzheimer's mm-hmm. is going to get worse. Probably autism is going to get worse in the mm. kids. Jeez, mm, I, um, you know, I was listening to Bobby Kennedy, and he said now in boys, autism was one in ten. Oh my God, I hadn't heard that. Wow, I hope that's I, not I'm, true. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what he said. I mean, don't quote wow. me, but I'm I'm ninety nine percent sure that's what he said. I was just flabbergasted. It's well, horrible. I think if we if we give the kids these if we roll out these messenger RNA vaccines and get them into the arms arms of the children, we're going to have an epidemic, even worse epidemic in mm-hmm. autism than we have already. I think if if they live, yeah. Yes. I, know. <laughs> I mean, I hate to say that, but you know, I know. Yeah. I I just you know it's 
I think it from all of the research I've been doing, it really seems that we live in such a toxic world right now. And we're humans are taking in so many toxins. And I think that that is part of what is driving uh, the adverse events, the side effects, the, um, you know, in people, because our bodies are already so, t- I mean, we're, we're pretty resilient, you know, I, I, I mean, our bodies are meant to be able to handle toxins and, you know, all kinds of stuff. I mean, we have all kinds of viruses and bacteria and pathogens running around in our body 24 seven. But I think that we've gotten so toxic that, that people just, they can't, they can't fight this off. They can't handle it. You know, they... No, I totally agree. I totally agree. And of course, glyphosate is a big part of that, I think. Glyphosate mm-hmm. is, a, is a real sleeper because people think it's perfectly safe. Government assures us it's, it's a wonderful herbicide. <laughs> right? It kills all plants except those that have been engineered to resist it, completely harmless to humans. And that is a lie. Well, they said that with DDT. It is DDT all uh, over uh, again. My husband was doing some uh, research on it, and he said they were just spraying it in houses. They were spraying it in the streets. They were just spraying it on people everywhere. Right. I know. It's amazing to think. But you know, now we laugh. You know, we, We're sort of shocked. How could they have not known? We're doing the same thing all over again with glyphosate. Mm-hmm. Mothers will probably, you know, not think twice about spraying the dandelions with glyphosate while the kids are playing in the yard. I mean, I think people are just not aware that they need to worry about this chemical that is not safe. And it's, of course, all over the food supply. And it's the reason why we have all these diseases that are correlated with COVID-19 bad outcomes. Mm-hmm. You know, the diabetes, the obesity, high blood pressure, heart disease, even cancer, all those things are when you have one of those comorbidities, you have a greatly increased risk of, of dying from COVID. Right. And those are all going up exactly the step with glyphosate usage. So my book, you know, Toxic Legacy, explains exactly how glyphosate could be causing all of these diseases. So I think that correlation means causation. Mm-hmm. And I also think glyphosate is a big, big player in COVID-19. And when you look at the data, it's quite remarkable when you look at the data around the world on which countries are having trouble controlling COVID and which ones seem to think COVID is completely harmless. It's quite striking. It's a, it's a 100 fold difference in the death rate, you know, from one country to another. Do you think that's why Africa doesn't have, they're not doing the jabs in general and they have very low. I I thought, I I, I, I think overall in Africa, it was like 1% or less. Yeah. It's only 6% vaccinated. And um, incredibly lower. Um, I, I did some numbers on Nigeria a while ago, and I and I, I even if you assume that everybody is over 65, because Nigeria has a, the average age of the population is younger in Africa, and that's one of the reasons they say why they're more resistant. You know, they don't have as many old people. But even if you assumed everybody who died was old, at the time I did this calculation, which was about a year ago, I think, looking at how many people had died in Nigeria versus U.S., and then looking at the elderly population, normalizing for that. And you get one person dying in Nigeria for every 100 people in the United States, one to 100. Wow. It's not a small factor. No, it isn't. Do they use glyphosate in Africa? Much, much less. I actually wrote a paper on glyphosate in, in Africa, and I praised the Africans for their avoidance of it because they, they, they have mostly small family farms. The exception is South Africa. Mm. Glyphosate, Monsanto was in early and deep in South Africa, and they still are. And South okay. Africa is the only country in Africa that's right up there with the rest of us as far as high death rate from COVID. So mm-hmm. it fits very, very well. 
Mm-hmm. And then Brazil, you know, Brazil is right up there with the United States with really pretty much the top of the list. And Brazil is a very heavy user of glyphosate. And also uh, biofuels, that's the other factor that I think plays an important role. And we've probably talked about this We before. did talk, yes, we did talk about it. Because it's mm-hmm. quite fascinating. And I, you know, I keep on sort of watching the world and seeing what's happening next. And of course, people do get, you know, different countries get flare-ups at different times. Different parts of our country get flare-ups at different times. So it's complicated, you know, mm-hmm. so there's no simple story. Right. I find, I find certain things very interesting, though. If you look at Vermont, Vermont okay. was proudly the uh, the best of all the 50 states that had the lowest death rate from covid of all the states really until very until very recently that's partly because it's a rural you know it's it's um mm-hmm. not it's harder for, for it to spread right um but they were doing very well but then they put in an aggressive vaccination campaign and they're a highly vaccinated state and of course many of those people got vaccinated six months ago or more <laughs> now they've got a big outbreak in vermont and they've They've lost their position as the as the um, best state in terms of the death rate because of this new surge that they're seeing now with a fully vaccinated population. Mm-hmm. So I mean, the vaccines are a short term solution. If you do massively vaccinate your entire population all at once, then you're going to enjoy a, a short period when the rates are going to be very low because those antibodies are so high that they just block the spike protein from getting into the into the cells. But once the antibody levels fall. The virus has an opportunity to infect, and then once that happens, those type 1 interferons are weakened by the vaccine. That means that the cell that's infected can't fight off its infection nearly as well as it could have before. This is why I think that the vaccinated, once their antibodies go to a drop to a certain level, they become more susceptible than the unvaccinated. Stephanie, does that have anything to do? I mean, I've been noticing there seems to be like a six-month marker. Of, mm-hmm. of issues coming up if they, I mean, I may be wrong, but it seems like there's either immediate side effects or side effects within the first, you know, month, but then it seems to trail off until about six months. And that seems mm. to be when. That's interesting. That could well be because that's the time when the antibodies have fallen so low that they're no longer protecting you. And, and then, um, other things come into play that make you sick and, and, you know, both being more susceptible to COVID, but also being more susceptible to everything else. I mean, I think the, the type one interferon interference is an important aspect of these vaccines. I believe that is going to show up as um, I mentioned already increased susceptibility to everything else, which is already true Mm -hmm. because you don't have antibodies to everything else. You only have antibodies to spike. Right. And of course the other thing is spike is a very dynamic protein it mutates very very easily and we have all these variants popping up everywhere and europe is in a mess right now you know with this variant that apparently came out of uk and has Mm. further evolved from that and now it seems to be just laughing at the vaccine you know this variant the vaccines don't work against it and now they're getting boosters and the boosters don't match so they're wasting money and time on boosters Mm -hmm. for the wrong spike protein god so the does it does the replication okay because the cells in your in our bodies become like a spike protein factory yes right so yes. does that ever like stop or well that's a good does question. that just keep going forever again they boast about the papers that talk about the messenger RNA technology boast about the fact that they have engineered this messenger RNA to be extremely sturdy 
mm-hmm. and it allows it to produce protein for an extended period. Now, I don't think anybody knows how long that extended period is, mm-hmm. whether it's a day or a week or a month or six months. I don't think people know. The other thing is the message RNA does have the potential to get converted to DNA. There, all of the machinery is there to do that. And Greg and I wrote about it in our first paper. There's plenty of papers that support that reverse transcription. Human mm-hmm. cells possess this enzyme called reverse transcriptase right. that can convert RNA to DNA. And then sperm, for example. I mean, I found this amazing paper, and it was from some time ago. It didn't have to do with COVID, of course. But it was about the ability of sperm to take in foreign messenger RNA, messenger RNA, convert it to DNA, build plasmids out of that DNA, little, you know, little micro organelles, you could say, mm-hmm. release those plasmids around the egg at the time of fertilization, and the fertilized egg would take up those plasmids. And then the, the embryo would then have this DNA uh, for that foreign messenger RNA ready to go to make RNA and to make protein. So that DNA then can survive in that embryo until the fetus is born, until the, the the child grows up, I mean, the whole lifespan, that wow. DNA, those plasmids can keep on duplicating themselves and sticking around for the entire life of that, of that fertilized egg. Wow. And, and I think it's almost, we're almost at what, 3,000 in this, this is VAERS, so we know that's underreported, but 3,000 miscarriages, stillborns in, oh, in pregnant women who got the jab. Yeah, it's so it's so interesting because you see these articles on the web that are the mainstream articles and they say, oh, yeah, it seems very clear that the vaccine is messing up the menstrual periods. You know, you might get a heavy period. It might be too soon. Don't worry. That's just a temporary problem. You know, I just can't believe how much they just reassure everybody that it doesn't matter that it's messing up the menstrual periods because clearly it's getting into the into the ovaries, into the into the I mean, who knows? Right? Certainly. uh the placenta. I mean, I can't mm-hmm. imagine it doesn't get into the placenta because that's one of those organs that's hooked up to the lymph system, and that's where it's going. You know, the, the, the um, immune cells carry it into the lymph system, and it goes into the ovaries. Uh, there was a Japanese report. You know, it was a study that was commissioned by Pfizer in Japan. Requested this study to trace the messenger RNA. Where does it go? Because they don't have a clue. You know, mm-hmm. where does it go? That's an important question to ask. Right? I would think so. And they would say, oh, yeah, it just stays in the muscle, no big deal. But actually, it goes into the lymph system, goes to all these organs that are hooked up to the lymph system. And that includes the ovaries and the spleen and the and the testes, you know. So right. it's, uh, well, I, I think I read it and it was maybe this was the same study, but that 48 hours after the jab, the highest concentration yes. was in the ovaries. Yeah, I think it was, in my memory, it was the uh, spleen had the highest, and then the next highest was the ovaries. Oh, right, right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Sorry. <clears throat> and the liver is pretty high, too. So mm-hmm. liver, ovaries, also the adrenal glands. I mean, these are nasty places to be having a spike protein, mm-hmm. which is a very toxic protein. It's got prion-like properties, and we wrote about that in our paper as well. Mm-hmm. It's a, It resembles a prion protein. Of course, the prion proteins are the ones that cause mad cow disease and really awful neurological disorders. Well, I'm seeing a lot of, uh, in fact, I I know of someone who's having problems with their memory, and mm. it definitely crosses the blood-brain barrier. And, it does. You know, it's people are having, like, uh, who was it was saying to me, someone they work with, they would be talking, and all of a sudden, they just stopped. They couldn't remember what 
they were talking about. Um, and, and, you know, Cliff High talks about vaccidents all the time. Um, uh-huh. And, and people who have, haven't died from the car accident have said they just lost, mm. you know, just momentarily just blanked, blanked out. out. Yeah. Wow. That's really scary. Yeah, It really is. And there's a study also recently that came out that showed this was quite amazing that, that the um, spike protein went into the nucleus and in the nucleus, it suppressed critical proteins, including a BRCA, you know, the BRCA, um, which is the protein mm. that mutations can be a, a risk factor for breast cancer and also right. for Alzheimer's mm-hmm. and BRCA. And then another protein, I forget what it was called, that are that are very intimately involved in DNA repair following DNA damage. Those proteins were suppressed by the spike protein. And that's going to be mm. tremendous influence for cancer and also for uh, impairing the ability of the immune cells to produce antibodies. So it could be that this um, vaccine is weakening the antibody response capabilities, you know, the tools to make mm-hmm. antibodies in the immune system, mm-hmm. which would, of course, then impact any other disease that you get exposed to. You're right, right. Well, and with the spike protein, I don't know if we talked about this last time, but um, when teenagers started getting the jab, and I was noticing a lot of teenagers, boys especially, not girls so much, but boys and athletes mm-hmm. having myocarditis and pericarditis. Absolutely. And then I listened to a talk by Dr. Charles Hoff. Um, I just, uh-huh. I love him. He's just I really like him a lot. He's just smart and he's humble and, you know, um, and he said that the spike protein, okay, so when, when the, first of all, the uh, microscope, especially dark field microscope shows that after the jab, the, the red blood cells clump together and, mm. um, and create this, what they call this rouleau pattern. Right, right. Yes. And as the red blood cells go through the body and, enter the capillaries, they can only enter the capillaries one by one. Mm-hmm. They barely fit. Yeah. And the spike protein scratches the inside oh, of the capillaries. I that too. That yeah. was theory. Yeah. That's very interesting. Yeah. So then the, um, the platelets are like, oh my God, you know, we've got to go repair this. And, yes. and they start blocking the capillaries. Right. And I think he said... It was something like around a thousand capillaries in the lungs become blocked. And then when athletes, because I've seen, I've seen lists. I mean, you know, I'm sure people who just listen to mainstream media don't even know, but I've seen lists of athletes from around the world. It's just, I remember that video showed one after the other. Oh, I know. Very disturbing. Yeah. And there was, that was, was that the video that even a ref dropped a referee? I think so. Yes. Yeah, in the in the black and white stripe, you know, you could see yes. he dropped. But it's it's just it's constant. <clears throat> Excuse me, it's constant now. It's happening with athletes all over the world, and I that I think it seems like that's because the spike protein and the and the platelets coming in have blocked so many capillaries. The heart's having to work so hard because yes. they're they're exerting themselves as athletes, right? And yes. and that's why they're dropping. Because I I remember wondering how come it's boys and not girls. Right. I mean, it's, there it's were some girls. It's connected to exercises. Right. When you have extreme exercise exercise your body can't handle it because you're in this mode where you don't have the 
adequate resources to fight back against what the spike protein is doing to you at that time with right. the extra. And teenage boys are more likely to be athletes right. than teenage girls. That totally makes sense. Yes, I, I, I really, um, I've been studying that whole mechanism. It's so amazing what happens to the platelets. You know, there's whole, all kinds of, like you get venous thrombosis. You don't get this uh, cerebral venous thrombosis uh, from the, the veins that drain the the brain, right? Mm-hmm. They get completely clumped up with um, with blood clots, basically. It's an incredible problem with blood clots. And um, the platelets, the, I, there was a paper that showed that the RBD, the receptor binding domain of the spike protein, binds to what's called platelet factor four, which is the platelet factor that's linked to this heparin-induced thrombosis that's a problem people can have as an adverse reaction to heparin mm-hmm. treatment. Okay. So the the condition that you get with a thrombosis, that's not the heart condition, but the sort of blood clots and the drop in platelet counts, you know, that's another thing that's showing up with uh, in large numbers with these vaccines. Um, that's likely due to this property, the spike protein, to be able to bind to, uh, to that he- platelet factor. Because mm-hmm. that's how it looks like heparin, but it isn't. It, it's a it's a condition that has the same symptoms as an adverse reaction, as a sort of antibody response to heparin. Oh, but it's not heparin. It's a mm-hmm. spike protein. does the same thing. Interesting. Um, that's really scary. And then the heart thing is also really fascinating as far as the biology is concerned mm-hmm. <laughs> because the vaccine induces, um, you know, it, it induces the cells that are making spike protein to spit out exosomes, which are little lipid bodies. And those exosomes are packaged up with spike protein that they display on their surface. And they also are given various microRNAs, which are like instructor. They're fascinating um, molecules that have influence over the expression of different proteins. So, And each microRNA has its own skills as far as which proteins it can suppress. Okay. And there's one in particular called microRNA-155 that I've been reading about because it's very, very strongly linked to um, heart disease. You know, it goes mm-hmm. way up in a, when you have a heart attack mm-hmm. and the immune cells produce it and then the fibroblasts pick it up and the fibroblasts react to the MIR-155 in a bad way, which the, can then cause rupture of the heart. So it, mm-hmm. it's been shown. I've gotten multiple studies that talk about microRNA-155 being a specific microRNA that is expressed by the immune cells in response to the SARS-CoV-2 so I think that's what's happening is the spike protein is inducing the release of these exosomes because these cells are like, oh, my God, I'm making all the spike protein. What am I going to do? They release them, the exosomes into the circulation. They put microRNA-155 inside with the spike protein. And then it gets picked up by the immune cells in mm-hmm. the heart. Mm-hmm. And then from there, uh, you've got a, a nasty, nasty situation with this microRNA triggering inflammation, heart damage. And the whole works, you know, and of course, also the ACE2 receptor is another part of that puzzle because the spike protein disables, it binds to the ACE2 receptor and disables it. And there's this special furin cleavage site, which is a unique property of SARS-CoV-2, not found in SARS-CoV. People suspect that's a, you know, synthetic introduction in the lab. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people think this virus is not natural. And I, and right. I'm inclined to agree with that. Yeah, me too. From everything the furin- I've read. Yeah, if your inhibitor side chops off the S1, the S1 contains that receptor binding domain, which binds to the H2 receptors and disables them. And so I think the these these exosomes are, are displaying spike on their surface. F, uh, S1 is getting chopped off. S1 is going over to the heart and binding to H2 receptors. 
which is going to cause um, that causes angiotensin two to go way up, which is which is direct path to heart problems. So there's multiple ways that make sense in terms of how the vaccine would cause heart disease. Well, and you know, tell me if I'm wrong, but it seems like this is probably related because I've also read or listened to that the type of myocarditis, pericarditis that it's happening after the jabs is is much different from what it normally would be, you know, naturally in someone. I have heard that it's much worse. I think it was um, McCullough, maybe Doctor yeah, McCullough might have been. said mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's much that the response, the myocarditis response to the vaccine is far far worse than the myocarditis response to the uh, to the virus. That the virus you just you have certain you know metrics that you can um, troponin maybe troponin I'm not sure troponin goes up, mm-hmm. but it goes sky high with the vaccine, whereas it just goes up a little bit with the uh, with the virus. Mm-hmm. So it's it's clear that the vaccine has a much much more dramatic response, and I think that's because there's all those exosomes floating around. You've got this concentrated factory with a cell that gets infected with the vaccine. It can't stop itself. You know, there's no control over it. it; just has to keep on making spike protein, whether it likes it or not. And then it's overwhelmed with spike protein, so it ships it out in these exosomes, and the exosomes can circulate everywhere. And one of the things that's really scary is that exosomes travel very nicely along nerve fibers. And so, uh, oh. yeah, so the, hmm. so you're in the spleen, you got all these, you got all this spike protein in the spleen and it's being packaged up into exosomes and shipped out and the spleen hooks up to the vagus nerve mm-hmm. and the vagus nerve goes to the heart, goes to the brain. Right. So you're basically transporting these exosomes, which are very, very toxic, containing that spike protein to the brain, to the heart. In the brain, it's causing all kinds of neurological symptoms. Wow, that's an interesting explanation. Huh. And it's also, of course, attacking the nerve fibers. And that's why right. you're getting, you know, Guillain-Barre disease. I mean, there's there's various complaints about neuropathy and, mm-hmm. you know, a lot. and also paralysis even. Mm-hmm. Mobility problems, that's showing up as well. I think it's because the exosomes are traveling along the nerve fibers and damaging them. That makes sense. Wow. Well, you know, and I know it's just such a shame that this information doesn't get out because so many people I seem to think that, you know, this is everything's just fine and dandy. And, you know, I mean, I talked to someone not too long ago who got the jab and they said, well, everyone who's been really sick that we know, they they were unvaxxed. And, and so they decided to to get the jab. And, you know, since these jabs are in trial, right, everybody is part of this trial, whether they want to be or not. I mean, those who aren't jabbed, right, are part of the trial because they would be the control group, I would assume. Um, but since this is experimental and only emergency youth authorized, they can change the formula whenever they want. And it's my understanding that there's a placebo, there's sal- which is saline, some of the batches have five micrograms, some 10, some 20, some 30. And someone else said that there was a 40. So that would explain to me why some people have no symptoms after they get the shot. Some have mild symptoms and some very severe. And there was also, I saw uh, someone did an analysis of the VAERS data 
And what they found was that 5% of the batches had much higher doses than the rest. And they only went to, I think it was 12 or 13 states. Yeah, I don't know what to make of all of that stuff. And it's sort of hard to verify whether that's true or not. I do Mm -hmm. suspect that um, it's kind of scary that it has to be stored at really cold temperature. And you wonder whether each each vial has been maintained at cold temperature and what happens if it isn't. Right. You know, I think there's a possibility. Who knows? Right. Partial breakdown of messenger RNA such that it ends up making short um, cut off spike proteins that aren't completed. Mm-hmm. And and that can be very dangerous because um, the spike protein can go into the nucleus, and especially if it doesn't have the end part, because the end part is what makes it go to the membrane. Okay. And if it goes to the nucleus, it can actually attack, uh, it can suppress uh, enzymes that protect from DNA damage. So it can interfere with the healing process of the DNA when it's damaged. Mm-hmm. So that's also very scary because that, that also disrupts the... Uh, the process that makes antibodies. So it could make the antibody making system uh, defective. And it also will cause cancer because DNA mutations are a direct path to cancer. So that was, there's an amazing paper that talked about the spike protein getting into the nucleus and causing these, these troubles. I worry that the vaccine produced spike protein may be highly irregular. And even there may be a lot of mutations in it because the, um, the RNA is designed to be able to make spike really fast. And when a when a protein is synthesized quickly, you have more chance for error in the mm-hmm. production of the protein. And one of the errors could be an accidental stop codon, which would cause the, the spike protein to just snip off early before it gets that part that takes it to the membrane. So I can imagine lots of short spike proteins causing lots of trouble in the in the uh, cells that are making it. We don't know. This is all theoretical. I mean, there's so much we don't know about these these, these things. But I would expect probably many of the vaccines are not, you know, what they were, they've, they've been degraded over time. And of course, they're also becoming a, a reaching expiration date. You know, mm-hmm. why does it expire? What does right. it mean to be expired? We don't know. It's a good question. Well, and you know, I, I can imagine that if uh, the the shots are being given in the hospital or a clinic, but there are all these like pop-up tents happening. I can imagine oh, I that, that they're not being, uh, you know, that it's possible that they're not being um, handled properly. I know. I really wonder about that. And how long can you store it in the refrigerator? You know, what happens over time? You just something like that uh, special and that unique and, and degrading. We just don't know. It could be that certain batches have just been improperly stored such that they're no longer safe. I mean, it's one thing is to not work, not to actually cause the, you know, reaction that produces the antibodies. But what would be worse is to cause a lot more damage because of all these shortens, you know, and, and um defective spike proteins mm-hmm. that are being produced. Wow, another another layer to the mystery. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Wow. So you were saying that you wanted to talk about, uh, by the way, everyone, we're stitching this together because my internet kept going out yesterday. So hopefully Stephanie and I won't talk about something we already talked about. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> So when we got back on today, you were asking me if you had talked about uh, an article that came out in the Boston Globe, and I don't recall that. So why don't you talk about that? Yes. Well, that relates to the Israel problem, too, because Israel is seeing um, less and less effectiveness of the vaccines. You know, Mm -hmm. waiting, uh, the antibodies are fading and it's not as effective. People who are fully vaccinated are getting very sick, even dying. There was a hospital, there was an outbreak in a hospital in Israel where they... um, 
it was the case, uh, the index case, they had was fully vaccinated. He was sick, but they didn't think he had COVID because he was fully vaccinated. And too late, they realized that he had it and had, they hadn't kept him in isolation. So other people caught it from him and some of the uh, workers, as well as the uh, many of the people who were in the hospital got sick with COVID. And men, most of them were vaccinated. There was actually one unvaccinated person who, I think there were two unvaccinated people who had mild cases and um, and five of the vaccinated people died. So it's really kind of reverse of what you'd expect, you know, with the vaccine right. um, as far as the uh, response to the disease. And of course, ADE is something that Bob Malone has talked about a lot, uh, uh, antibody dependent enhancement, right. which is what I think is happening as the antibodies fade. There's a, there's a set of antibodies that actually pr- uh, facilitate the entry of the virus into the cells. It's quite weird. The antibodies have these two kinds of Two kinds of antibodies, one kind which protects and one kind which facilitates. And so those facilitating ones do, apparently don't fade as fast as the ones that protect. So you reach a crossover point where it becomes very dangerous if you're vaccinated that you're going to have an increased risk of getting uh, your cells infected with the virus. So that's quite amazing. So Boston, you know, Boston lately had an article in the Boston Globe, I think just a few days ago, where they talked about the Boston hospitals being overwhelmed with patients in the ICU and they're struggling to to care for them all, you know, overflowing, but it's not COVID. You know, mm-hmm. many of those patients don't have COVID, but they're very sick. And then they have all kinds of excuses for why that might be. Of course, not mentioning the possibility that I immediately think of is that the vaccine is making people sick. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So are the are the people that they're talking about in the ICUs vaccinated or unvaccinated? They didn't talk about that at mm-hmm. all. I don't mm-hmm. think they even mentioned vaccines. They just talked about um, overload. And they sort of said, well, maybe because, you know, people have been postponing, they have reasons. You can always come up with reasons for things. That's one of the problems with this. You know, you can always come up with a different reason. And they're saying because people delayed treatment for other things because of COVID, and now they're all trying to get treated, rushing, you know, all of a sudden. But I think it's possible. It's just that more people are sick because of the vaccine. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. I'm surprised, especially that they didn't say that in the article. You think that would... Yeah, you'd think, you would, go ahead. Right. Yeah, you'd think that would be one of the things they might suspect, right? It's just, of course, they wouldn't because it's mainstream. Mainstream never suspects the vaccines have any problems at all, even though their, you know, the reactions to, in the virus database to these COVID vaccines are out of sight. It's just like 10 times or even sometimes 100 times more, um, or even things that never showed up with the other vaccines are showing up with these vaccines. They have some incredible list of symptoms. I've been rummaging through the virus database, and it's really scary what you're seeing. Things like blindness and deafness, you know, and I think that's related to the, as I mentioned earlier, with the nerve fibers and the exosomes traveling along the nerve fibers to the brain, getting into the um, the nerves, at the optic nerve, you know, and mm-hmm. the, the auditory nerve and uh, causing damage. I, th- I suspect that that's what's going on there. I'm really concerned about the spike protein being a prion-like protein, and that's one of the things we wrote about in the paper that Dr. Greg Ignai and I wrote, published in May. Mm-hmm. Um, the spike protein is, is interesting because it has this motif, uh, this this glycine zipper motif, it's called, that's a characteristic feature of, of prion proteins. And, of course, prion proteins are those mysterious proteins that misfold and then act like a crystal to cause other proteins to, mis- to misfold in a kind of a cascade that ends up with nasty, nasty neurodegenerative diseases. The classic one is mad cow in the cows. They had mm-hmm. that big problem with mad cow in the UK. But there's a human mad cow called Kreutzfeldt, Jakob disease. 
And there were some, uh, I've gotten email from people who have sent me links to stories, interviews with people. There was a guy whose wife developed C CJD, Kurzweil-Jakob, just a couple months after her vaccine. And he's outraged and he believes the vaccine has caused her disease. Now, you never know, but it's an extremely rare disease. And there were like, I think, three different cases showing up in France. There was a lot of publicity around it. I think even Dr. Um, <laughs> oh, shoot. Uh, Senior moment. <laughs> I know. Shoot. Montagnier. Uh -huh. Mont Professor mm -hmm. Montagnier, I think, has spoken about the possibility of um, prion disease connected to the uh, spike, spike protein. And that's really scary because it travels in those exosomes and goes to the brain and it, it binds to ACE2 receptors. And there are ACE2 receptors in the neurons in the brain and that will, you know, disable them. And then that causes a, a, a reaction that involves a, a, um, inflammation mm -hmm. and swelling. And, and you see that. I was looking around for things, cerebral swelling and some, some horrific things are happening with these vaccine reports. Um, it's amazing to me that they've kept it so quiet about what these conditions actually are, you know, that are showing up with these vaccines. I agree. The, the mainstream has really suppressed the information. Mm -hmm. Well, I was talking with a, a friend who she's a retired MD. And I thought this was an interesting point that she made that if symptoms come on suddenly, it's probably an adverse reaction to the shots because mm -hmm. almost everything takes time to develop, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, mm -hmm. any kind of, whether it's diabetes or cancer or, you know, neurological disease, it, there's a, there's a gradual progression. Usually it's mm -hmm. not like, boom, all of a sudden you've got full blown, whatever. Right. Right. I know. It's really scary to look at the number of, uh, cases where there's things like mobility problems, you know, um, paralysis, this kind of thing showing up uh, in connection. Again, that's attacking the nerves. I really think the vaccine makes its way to the nerves. The spike protein in the vaccine makes its way to the nerves much more quickly than the spike protein in the virus does, because the virus starts mm -hmm. off in the, in the nose, in the lungs. It can breach the lung barrier, get into the blood. It has to breach the blood barrier to get into the nervous system, you know, so there's several barriers in the way. Whereas the the vaccine gets injected straight into the muscle and the immune, immune cells take it into the lymph system, into the spleen, and then into the nervous system along the, the vagus nerve and all the other nerve fibers. It travels. I think it's a much quicker path to the nervous system. And the spike protein is clearly toxic to nerves. That's been shown in studies. Mm -hmm. Well, and since it's replicating, I assume it's replicating in every cell of the body. Yes, I know. That's a very good question. And in fact, that is, we don't know. And the spike protein is getting um, released by the cells that are making it. So the cells that get infected initially are the ones in the muscle. And then the immune cells come in to help out because they see the spike protein. They, oh my God, there's a problem here. Let's go check it out. Then they take it up too, because it just looks like LDL particles. So these hapless pro, you know, cells are taking it up and they start making spike protein. And then they're like, oh my God, so they rush into the lymph system to give the message to the B cells and the T cells. We got to make some antibodies to this stuff. This stuff is really toxic, you know, and mm -hmm. that's where you, you make fantastic antibodies because the, the body is so stunned at this toxic protein that's showing up out of nowhere. It's not connected to any virus because the RNA looks like human RNA. Mm -hmm. It's like that human cells are making a toxic protein. That's just really weird for the immune system. It probably has no clue how to handle it, but it ends up making exosomes because that's the only way you can get rid of it. You yourself are overloaded with all this spike protein. 
So your only chance is to just ship it out and to spread it out all over the body. But you can even put the messenger RNA, complete messenger RNA molecule for the spike protein into one of those exosomes. There was a paper I was really astonished that showed that, that when the, when the uh, RNA comes in, in the, um, in the vaccine, then it, um, it actually, the cell will sometimes send out an entire exosome containing an entire messenger RNA molecule along with that cationic lipid that's so toxic that's in the vaccine, mm-hmm. packaged up inside the exosome with the, with the spike protein RNA. That exosome is very dangerous because it could go to the heart, for example, you know, it could go to the brain, and a cell there picks it up and starts making spike protein. Mm-hmm. From it. Interesting. Well, you know, I mean, the list of athletes who are having heart attacks and strokes and pericarditis and myocarditis is growing and growing. And I just saw a uh, a post. It was a, a clip from a TV news segment that there was a soccer game where three of the soccer players had heart attacks in the same game. That is outrageous. That is so shocking. If that's true, it's just unbelievable. You would think that the mainstream might notice that we have a problem here, you know? (laughs) It's like, oh, yeah, it causes heart attacks in kids, but that's fine. Let's give it to five-year-olds. I mean, I don't understand their logic. I really do not understand it. I don't think there is any logic. That's (laughs) why you don't understand. The world has gone insane. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. So do you have any sense? I mean, my sense is that this is, you know, from all that I've studied and looked at and read and listened to, that this is not about a virus, that the end goal is depopulation. I mean, I've watched videos of Bill Gates years ago, talking about the need for depopulation, that there's, you know, there's too many people. And I've seen others, you know, talking videos of them talking about it. And then this whole transhumanism thing, really seems to be, you know, connecting humans up with AI. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, the end game there is complete control, right? I mean, some are saying that, that if the vaccine passport goes into the fact, the next step is QR codes for everything, and you, you're connected up digitally (laughs) with the internet of all things. I know. Yeah, massive interconnected... um... It's 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 curious how technology has become really quite disturbing. You know, I worked in technology for most of my career, and I developed some of the, uh, you know, computer code that allows people to snoop on you, like you know the, mm. the speech recognition and the vision, you know, processing. Those things have turned into major surveillance and it it wasn't something I was expecting when I was doing it. You know, I thought that I thought in terms of useful applications. And it makes me very sad how much technology has invaded our lives in ways that are not good. It really has a very dark side. And um, I think that there, a major agenda was to get the messenger RNA technology out the door because they could never have gotten it past the regulatory process if they had to go through the normal procedures mm-hmm. by this emergency thing they were able to jump through hoops. And and they were determined to make this disease look like an emergency by not offering, by actively blocking the the kinds of treatments that are so effective, early early treatment with um, 
you know, zinc and, and vitamin C and vitamin D and uh, ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, all of those. I have friends who know how to keep people out of the hospital with this disease. It's, we should not be afraid of it. Right. They've put us, you know, into a state of terror. Oh, my God, this disease is so horrible. Anything I can possibly have that will help to protect me, I want it. And I don't care how bad these vaccines are. I want it. That is just like really irrational, very irrational thinking. I know. I mean, I know so many people who I've helped. My MD friend has helped. Uh, uh, others like Cami Benton, Dr. Cami Benton, who's been on my podcast a few times, who uses ivermectin with patients. Mm -hmm. I've read plenty of of stories of people who were really sick. I mean, I I read a story of this guy who he was so sick and he couldn't get ivermectin anywhere. So he said, screw it. And he got the horse paste. Mm -hmm. And he was better in a couple days. Yeah, there you go. I mean, yeah, they make fun of the fact that they use it on horses, but it's actually been widely used on humans for many decades. It's a very safe drug has a lot of experience. And the and the veterinary, I was reading an article by a doctor in Alberta. He was the, you know, the acting physician in a, a hospital on the weekend. And there were three very, very sick patients on the COVID ward. And he asked them and all they were being given was uh, steroids. And yeah, he, it's terrible. And then they, they put them on those breathing machines. And that's what's killing them, you know, right. And but he asked them, would you be willing to try ivermectin? And they all said yes. Mm -hmm. He could not find any pharmacist mm, to sell him, him. Right. But he found one who said, I will do everything I can to find ivermectin for you. And uh -huh. all he could find was veterinary ivermectin. And uh -huh. he said it was the same thing. Yeah, it's just it, it's just labeled differently. So two right. of the patients, so he he used supplements, he used um, inhalers, he used ivermectin, mm -hmm. just you know a wide range of things. Two of them got better and and walked out of the hospital. The third mm -hmm. one, I he got better, but I I don't know what happened because on Monday the regular physician came in, took them off of everything. Mm. Oh dear! Luckily, two of them were well enough that they ended up walking out. That's fortunate for them. Wow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's really mm -hmm. sad. It's just, it just really doesn't make any sense. It looks like our country is determined to uh, to destroy its population. And I really wonder about reproduction as well. I'm quite concerned about pregnant. I can't believe they say no problem. Get it if you're pregnant, you know, and then, you know, it's disrupting the, the periods, the uh, menstrual cycles mm -hmm. in a big way. So many mm -hmm. people are reporting uh, issues with their menstrual cycles. That cannot be good. And it was showing up in high concentrations in the ovaries in these uh, Japanese studies that trace the messenger RNA pathways right. ended up in the ovaries. So, I mean, it's it's really easy to think that it could be messing up the reproductive system. It goes into the testes as well. And people have, they've got swollen testes as a, um, as a side effect of these vaccines. Ooh, that must be painful. That doesn't sound good. <laughs> no. Well, and I, I did read two reports uh, from, they were fertility clinics that said that people who had gotten the shots, who had like the men had good motility, the women had, you know, healthy eggs, um, that after the shots, it all went downhill for both of them. Wow, that's really scary. That's what I'm afraid of is that it, we may start to see a plummeting of the number of kids being born, you know, just all of a sudden nobody's getting pregnant and we don't know why. And we probably won't blame the vaccine because we always seem to look the other way when it comes to the vaccine. The vaccine is perfect. It couldn't do that. It doesn't cause that, right? So mm -hmm. we just don't consider the vaccine as being the reason why people are having fertility problems. So it'll be interesting to track what happens in the future. Certainly data are going to come in and 
Uh, I think that COVID is going to be with us for a very long time. We need to get used to it. We need to just go back to being normal. Just like the flu. Exactly. <laughs> you know, if you're sick, stay home. <laughs> yeah. And have your stuff ready for when you catch it, you know, have your, uh, have your zinc ready and have your vitamin C ready. So you can, you know, help yourself, help yourself get through it. And of course, eat healthy diet, mm-hmm. avoid, you know, eat, eat certified organic, get out in the sunlight. I mean, they're very simple things. Eat whole foods. Everybody should be doing that. Everyone should be very, very determined to eat, to live healthy. And that's the best way, I think, to uh, protect yourself from COVID and also to stop the, uh, the spread just by people not having such sick immune systems that they can't fight it off. Right. Because there are plenty of families where one person's been sick and others haven't gotten sick. Right. You know, because for some reason, their immune functions are are working better. Um, I was reading an article, too, that said, you know, really reducing or, if possible, eliminating sugar uh, mm-hmm. was really important right now to... That makes sense, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just eating whole foods is really important. Healthy whole foods, organic. Those are simple things people should all be doing. And they're, and the government's not saying boo about that. You know, they're like, they're fine with us eating toxic food. It doesn't bother them at all. And yet that's, I think, a major reason why we're having so much trouble controlling COVID. Right. Right. And, you know, to me, uh, I want to stay out of the hospital, right? Yeah, me too. If, so, if something <laughs> happened, I want to stay out of the hospital. So I have a nebulizer. Um, I do too. I do too. Hydrogen peroxide. Yep. Hydrogen peroxide, saline, and a drop of iodine. That drop of iodine is really important in there. Yes. That's David Brownstein. Right. Uh, he's, he's great. And he's uh, he's taught me everything I know about how to treat this disease because mm-hmm. he's really good. And I have all, all of the supplements, you know, that, I mean, I'm taking a lot right now, but I would up it if I started yeah, to not exactly. feel well. I have ivermectin on hand. Um, I do too. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, you want to you wanna be prepared because yes. with anything like this, if the sooner you can nip it in the bud, the more likely exactly. you are to get better fast. You know, and if you've, if you've got to wait to order a nebulizer or have somebody go to the pharmacy. Right, you can't start to think about it when you're sick already. You have to have it ready to go beforehand. And, right, uh, right. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I've loaned mine out, but then people, because, uh, you know, some people have been really sick and I've, you know, put together different things, uh, you know, little little packets for them of what they need to get better. And um, nice. the only problem with loaning my nebulizer out is they don't get around to returning it. I've got to call <laughs> and I got to go, because uh, yeah. uh, you know how, <clears throat> excuse me, you know how it is. If you don't have it, you need it. If you've got it on uh, hand, yeah. you probably won't need it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's funny how it happens that way. Really, it is. I mean, I have, I've had a cold laser for... 15 years. I, I Everybody should have one. I mean, I've used it for such a wide range of, of issues uh, on myself and others. And I ended up starting to take it on trips with me because it's like somebody would always bang themselves or, or I'd start to get a sore throat or something where if I had my laser, you know, it would just nip it in the bud right away. So, but I remember I would loan that out. And then uh-huh. I swear every time I'd loan it out, I'll, that's when you'd need it. <laughs> yeah, I'd start to get a tickle in my throat, which said laser, you know, so, uh, yes. so I, I'd, I'd have people come over and use it, but I, I stopped loaning it out. Good. Yeah, but those smart. are, those are awesome tools uh, too. Mm-hmm. They really, really work. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've looked into them at all, but no, I haven't. I mean, I've used them on from serious menstrual cramps 
to uh, huge bruises, cuts, burns, mm. sore throats. It's they're amazing because it's mm. energy, right? It's energy, and everything's energy, right? So mm -hmm, it's photons mm -hmm. pulsing into your body and just giving you a little extra that you need so your body can heal itself. Now that's interesting. I'll have to look into that. Mm. Yeah, they're pretty cool. Mm. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, have you? Do you feel like you've uh, covered everything? I think so. I mean, there's always more to say, but I think we did a good job. <laughs> we covered a lot of territory and always a pleasure to talk to you. Oh, yeah, it's wonderful. And I'll check in with you in three or four months and see if we yeah, if we'll you do it again. got That'll another update. Awesome. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Stephanie. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening. And thank you so much, Dr. Stephanie Seneff for your relentless search for the truth and unpacking your research with us. The podcast website is realjanine.com where you can listen to and download episodes. And remember, J-A-N-E-A-N -E is how you spell Janine. To subscribe to Keeping It Real with Janine, go to your favorite podcast provider. And you can also listen to slideshow videos, if you prefer that, on BitChute. All of the older episodes are still on YouTube, but the newer ones are on BitChute now. And please remember to subscribe while you're there. Do you know someone who would find Dr. Seneff's conversation interesting, even fascinating? Please share the love. We would all appreciate it. Until next time, take care and be well.